Let me invite you to grab a hold of a Bible. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. So, but if you want to keep up, uh, you can turn to the book of Exodus and follow as we um, we'll make a lot of references to the, the contents of the book of Exodus, but uh, not read one passage in particular. Um, as most of you know, uh, today is somewhat of a special day for us. Um, uh, and as it's our 25th anniversary um, uh, as a church. And so I'm going to do something. Um, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something a little, a little odd. Um, so you'll have, to, you'll have to track with me. Um, but don't try this at home. Uh, you know, I'm a professional. So um, uh, this, I'm, we're going to preach through a, a whole book, uh, the whole book of Exodus, at least 25 or 30 chapters or so, and, and we'll do it in 35 minutes or so. Um, but if you are a covenantalist, theologically, as I am, then you won't have any trouble making the connection that I'm about to make. Um, as a covenantalist, theologically, we see a direct connection between Israel uh, in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. Uh, let, let me say that a different way. We, we as covenantalists believe that God has always had a people. He's always had a people. In the Old Testament, they're called Israel. In the New Testament, they're called the church. So the connection between Israel and the church. The reason I say that, guys, is I'm about to do that. I'm about to give you um, a lesson. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to tell you a story first and then give you some lessons about church planting. Uh, and um, I, I brought with me this morning, uh, you've never seen this probably, this is the only book that I've ever written. Uh, it's my doctoral dissertation. And um, the title of my doctoral dissertation is A Formula for Predicting Success or Its Opposite in Church Planning Ventures. Now, I would never let you um, uh, read this because it is absolutely awful. Um, but I did bring it to show you that I am an expert in the field, or at least uh, supposedly so. Um, but what I'm going to do is offer you um, a, a story about church planning drawn. I'm, I'm going to use Israel as my example of church planting because I see a direct connection between Israel and the church, you see? Um, so we'll, we'll try to race through the whole book, um, but um, you're going to gonna have to stay up with me. What I'm going to try to do is, is tell you this story about um, this church planting venture in the book of Exodus, and then I'm going to try to draw some applications for us. Um, another church plant that took place about 25 years ago. So we'll, we'll try to draw some lessons from this church plant uh, for this church plant. Okay? Guys, um, when God gets ready to plant a church, the first thing that he does is that he raises up a church planter. And, and in this instance, in the book of Exodus, uh, the church planter is a guy by the name of Moses. Um, it, Moses had a most remarkable beginning, as you probably already know. You know something about this story, I, I think. Uh, you may recall that Moses was born in Egypt. Uh, he was, of course, born to a Jewish family living in Egypt. Uh, and Egypt had, gotten, had grown tired of uh, Israel's visit, hated uh, Israel being there. And Pharaoh had decreed that every newborn Jewish infant Male 
was to be murdered, was to be killed. And so he, he gave instructions to all the midwives there in Egypt that if, um, if a, a Jewish couple gave birth to a, um, to a little boy, that little boy was to be killed. And so Moses' mother and father, whose, uh, whose name is Amram and Jochebed, uh, Amram, of course, I mean, uh, they were with child, and so um, Jochebed was with child. But um, uh, when it came time to give birth, she knew that they were supposed to kill her child, and she didn't know what it was. But, um, of course, she gives birth to a little boy. And um, that, that's pointed out for you in chapter 2, verse 2. And, and the text says that uh, when they saw that he was a fine child, uh, the, the New American Standard says when they saw that he was a beautiful child. I, I don't, the Hebrew word is much closer to fine than it is beautiful. I guess uh, if it was an ugly child, they would have killed it. But, uh, <clears throat> but when mom and daddy saw that they had born a fine, uh, strapping young boy, they, they hid Moses um, and kept him from the, 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 the governmental authorities. And they came to the place where they could hide him no longer. And so what his mother did was that she made a little basket, a waterproof basket, and she placed her newborn son in that waterproof basket and put the whole basket in the Nile. You remember that, the Nile River? And, um, and, and in one of those amazing coincidences, oh, 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 Lady Luck was with them, <clears throat> you know I don't believe that. Um, but um, as uh, the little basket is flowing down the river, the daughter of Pharaoh was out in the Nile bathing. And so here, as she bathes, this, this little basket comes floating by her, and Moses makes some whimpering sound from, the, from inside the basket. She sends her, her little servant girls to go get it, brings the basket over, and opens it up, and lo and behold, who's inside? <laughs> A little baby boy. And uh, she knows that this is one of the little Jewish boys that um, <clears throat> some mother is trying to save. And so she takes that little baby boy into the palace and raises that baby boy as her own and gives him the name Moses. And so Moses was raised in, um, in, Egyptian, in an Egyptian palace. Now, we're not told much about his childhood, um, nothing about his, his boyhood, but we are told at least one thing about his um, late teenage years. He was out one day, and um, he was um, um, just looking around, I guess, and he saw one of the Egyptian soldiers being very mean to a Jewish laborer, and uh, he intervened, that is, Moses intervened, and uh, killed as you may recall, killed the, uh, the uh, uh, Egyptian soldier and then hides him by burying him in the sand. Knowing that he was in trouble, uh, Moses, the, um, the future church planter, Moses runs. He leaves the country. He goes to a backside of a mountain someplace and, and hides. Now, <clears throat> that, that was the way the church planner's life began <clears throat> with several incredible um, interventions on the part of God on his behalf. Um, but um, as I said, his, his, um, the story that we have about Moses is not that, um, is not that impressive. The, the man was a murderer. And, and not only was he a murderer, um, later on in the story, uh, in chapter 4, after God is trying to call him into the, to the ministry position of church planner, 
uh, he says to God, oh God, I can't go back there. I can't do that. I'm not, you know, I'm not one to go back there and get those people out of Israel and plant this church. I, not, not me, because, you know, I, I, I stutter. I, I don't speak well. Remember that? That's in chapter four. Um, and, and God says, don't worry, I made your tongue, it'll be fine. And, um, uh, and so he, he's a murderer and he, um, and he hates public speaking. Now, how are you going to be a church planner when you can't preach? Uh, that's kind of silly. And then we're told in chapter four, I bet you didn't know this, this is in chapter four, verses 24 through 26, that God gets so upset with Moses on one occasion that God is about to kill him. He's about to take Moses' life because of Moses' disobedience. And Moses' wife, whose name is Zipporah, we'll call her Zippy, uh, Zippy intervenes on behalf of her husband and saves his life. And finally, God has his church planner. Um... You know, that's not to say that there's not some kind of upside to Moses. There's not a whole lot that I can point to as an upside, but I do know of one thing that uh, is really an, an upside of Moses, and that is his call to the, to the, to the ministry. Remember that? It's, um, it's recounted for you in chapter 3 when um, Moses is tending a few sheep on the backside of a mountain and this, uh, this bush begins to burn and without being consumed. And, and, uh, not only that, the, the bush talks of all things. And of course, you know, that's an appearance of Yahweh and, um, Yahweh says to, uh, to Moses, um, I want you to go back to uh, Egypt and I want you to get my people out of there and I want you to plant a church with them. And that's what Moses Moses says, not me, not me, not me. But when, when you look at all that, when you look at that part of the history of Moses, you, you, you can't help but ask, is, is that the best that God could find? A murderer? God can't talk? Uh, so disobedient that God wanted to strike him dead? Is that the best that's, that God could find? But now God has this church planner, and the, and the next thing that you do when you're planning a church is that God um, arranges or, or, or gathers some, uh, what, what is called in, the, in, the, in theological circles, is called seed families. You know, the core group, the nucleus, you know, the guys that, that ultimately will, um, will be, um, uh, maybe have their names on the, the charter membership of the church, you know? Uh, this, this first group. And, um, and, the, and the organizational meeting that they have, which is uh, uh, recounted for you in chapter 4, uh, things go pretty good in, in the, when Moses goes go back and um, he gathers a, a group of them and, and they're going to be the seed families of this new church plant. And, and the, again, the, the organizational meeting goes pretty well. This is in um, chapter 4, verse 31, and, it, and, and Moses tells them the whole story. And, and, the, and it says the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people, of Israel, they were all excited. And they say, okay, Moses, we're for you. You know, we're behind you. Uh, we want to be a part of this, uh, this church planting thing that you're doing. And uh, we're, we're going to go with you, okay? Uh, we're, we're eager to get started and, and have you lead us is in this uh, church planting adventure. But, um, you know, not... not Three days later, uh, some opposition occurs. I mean, Pharaoh doesn't like the whole idea. And as soon as this little core group realizes that there's going to be some opposition and that this thing's not going to be so, so easy, that is, planning a church, oh, do they squawk. 
They squawk, uh, uh, in fact, they say this, this is in chapter five, verse 21. They say this to Moses. I mean, once they've, they've, they've made their intentions known to start a church, I mean, Pharaoh doesn't like it and, and causes problems. And this is, what the, this is what the seed families say. This is in 521. Uh, they say this to Moses. Uh, the Lord, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and to put a sword in their hands to kill us. So you see, the, 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 at, the, at the first sign of, um, of opposition to this whole project... The people, uh, really, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, whereas it, it started out pretty good in chapter four, by chapter five, um, it's not looking real good. Um, and, and Moses, the church planner, is, is beginning to understand a little bit about just how, how fickle people can be. Now, speaking of the opposition, at this point in the church planning venture, the, the opposition is primarily uh, governmental. You know, Pharaoh is um, uh, pushing back and pushing back big time. But, you know, the same thing happens today. Uh, the government is certainly not friendly towards church planting. There's, uh, there's zoning laws that you have to face. And then there's, there's tax considerations that always come up when, when, when churches want to buy a piece of land. And, um, and then, of course, the best place to start a church is in a, uh, a public school auditorium. But you can't do that. No, no. You can't do that because that would be to mix uh, religion and, and the state. You know, you can't do any of that. So you can't have a church and just start your church. And don't, don't, you can't have a school to start. No, no, you can't do that. Because the government is very unfriendly, let's say, uh, to a church planning adventure, but not as unfriendly as Pharaoh was. I mean, Pharaoh says, you know, get your little selves back out in the fields and, and start working. You ain't going anywhere in terms of this church planning adventure. But amazingly, um, this opposition to the church plant begins to melt away because, as you know, if you know anything about the story, God begins to intervene. And when I say God intervenes, I mean God intervenes. It all starts in chapter 6 when um, God begins to stretch forth his mighty arm and there's this series of plagues. You remember those? Um, turning the water to blood, and then the frogs. Oh, they had frogs in their ovens and frogs in their beds. And then they had the, the, uh, uh, the gnats and then the flies, these 10 plagues. And, and, the, and, the, and the more these plagues come, um, you know, the, the government is becoming a little bit uh, less hard to work with. But they're still saying, no, you can't do this, Moses. You're not planting a church anywhere around here, Bubba. And then the final one comes, the, uh, the final intervention on the part of God. And you know about this. This is in chapter 12. Remember it? When uh, God comes, calls his church planner and he says, now Moses, I want you to go back to the people and I want you to tell them to take blood from an unblemished lamb and I want you to paint their door po- your doorpost with that blood, okay? And tonight uh, at midnight, uh, the death angel is going to come uh, by and um, if you don't have blood on your doorpost, uh, you, the, the firstborn's going to die. Uh, it's Passover, chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12. And uh, indeed, um, that occurs. And at midnight, the whole, sound, the, the whole nation of Egypt is filled with the sound of screaming. As every Egyptian family is finding their firstborn uh, dead, um, put to death by the death angel. And at that point, of course, <laughs> the, uh, the government opposition is over. Uh, now they are at, 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 uh, far more cooperative. And they're saying, okay, get out. Go ahead. Whatever you want to do, just go do it. And um, uh, so 
you have your, your church launch in chapter 13. And that's when, um, that's when Israel, led by the new church planner Moses, uh, comes, comes out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. But, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a matter of hours that they run into a huge hurdle. And the hurdle, of course, is a, a, a body of water, uh, the Red Sea. And they don't know how they're going to get across. And they look behind them, and, and, and lo and behold, um, Pharaoh apparently has changed his mind. And, um, you know, he sends his army after them to get them to bring them back because he, he's changed his mind about letting them go in the first place. And so there they are. There's a, there's a body of water on this side and the army over here, and they're caught in the middle. And what are we going to do now? And, um, and as you know, God intervenes. And he parts the, the Red Sea and uh, the nation of Israel, this new church. They, uh, they walk through Dryshod, and, um, and the army of Israel sees that that happens. And um, uh, they think, well, we'll do it too. And they run in there, and they're all put to death. They're all drowned. So now they're on the other side of the river, and um, they're off. The church has begun. But you know, this is a very expensive project. I mean, how are they going to afford? How are they, how are they, how are they going to find the money to put this thing? Because I mean, the, the man's are amazing. And, and, the, and the, the seed families help. But I forgot to tell you this part. This is back in chapter 12 too. Um, after that, that death angel thing and all these people lost their firstborn, the, uh, the citizens of Egypt, they want them out. And so they make sizable donations of silver and gold and, and jewelry. Just get out. So, so God has, um, has provided, miraculously, uh, every dime, every dollar that's going to be needed. And, and it came from some of, the, some of the strangest places. And in, of course, this instance, it came from uh, Egyptian citizens. Um, and, and of course, now they're funded. And they run into the water and it parts and they get on the other side. And their big enemy is now gone. The Egyptian army has drowned. But um, early on, uh, after the church has begun, the, the, problems, the problems and the challenges, oh, they begin. <laughs> Just a bucket load of them. Um, and interestingly, the, the, the problems are no longer external. They're internal. You, you come to chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, um, and uh, there's no water. Remember that? Uh, there's the church. They're out there, and they, you know they want to, they want to be a church, you know, but they ain't got any water. And how, how are we going to exist? And so they begin to uh, grumble against the church planner. Uh, it says that right there in the in the in the text. Uh, they they begin to grumble against Moses. I mean, are we going to? We should go back. We shouldn't have never. We should have never done this. We, we need to go back and go back to Egypt because there's plenty of water in Egypt. And and of course, um, as you, if you know the story. Um, God uh, intervenes once again on their behalf, and, and this rock starts gushing water. It's plenty, plenty, plenty of water. Uh, but, um, but that was a, a, a big squabble inside the church, and, and, um, and it was very painful, uh, particularly for the, the leadership of the, this new fledgling group. <clears throat> then you come to chapter 16. And um, you would have thought by now, after the plagues and after the parting of the sea and the, and, and the Passover and the water, you'd have thought by now that these people really got it. But they haven't. 
They come to chapter 16, and chapter 16, uh, you know, in chapter 15, the problem was water. In chapter 16, the, the problem is food. We had not got any food. Well, you know, we're going to eat. I mean, I just used to love the onions and the leeks and the, and the meat that we used to have in Egypt. And we ain't got any of that here out near the desert. And you did this to us, Moses. And, and so they begin to grumble once again against the church planner, oh, Moses, you know? It's Moses' fault. And so um, you know what happens. I told you a few minutes ago, when I, when I say God intervenes, he intervenes. He intervenes, and this time it's, um, it's manna and quail. And so the people are quieted once again as they eat their manna and, and, and quail supper. <clears throat> then from there, uh, um, but, but interestingly... In both of these instances, in chapter 15 and chapter 16, it says that, yeah, they're having a problem in the church, but what God is up to is that he's testing the people. It says that in both those instances, God is winnowing. He's, um, he's removing the onlookers, you know, just the, 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 uh, the, uh, uh, the fringe folk. He's, he's, he's getting rid of them um, because he's using these things to, to test the people to see if they're really interested and they're really serious about planting a church that will glorify him. And then you come to chapter 17 and then something huge is right in their way. (laughs) How about that? I mean, straddling the path that they're trying to use to get to the promised land, there, right there is standing Amalek, the army of Amalek. It's come out to fight them. They don't have any instruments. They don't have any weapons. I mean, they left with... um, kitchen utensils. They don't have any swords and spears like the army of Amalek. What are we going to do? The the whole thing is just going to collapse. I remember, um, and many of you will remember, that we built our first building in 1994. We got into that building in in February of 1994. And then nine months later in uh, November of 1994, on Thanksgiving weekend, a tornado... uh, blew through Germantown and destroyed our whole building. The whole thing collapsed. (laughs) I remember during that period getting a letter from a woman in East Tennessee and she said, Dr. Young, your church is doomed. Uh, There must be sin in your midst because God is judging you. And I thought, she might be right. But then... God intervenes again. And Moses, the church planner, he goes up on top of a hill. And Joshua takes the army down and fights Amalek. And every time Moses holds up his hands, you know, the army of Israel succeeds. And, and ultimately, Amalek is beaten. And then you come to chapter 18. Chapter 18 is an interesting story about um, Moses meeting up with his father-in-law whose name is Jethro and Jethro looks at what Moses the church planner is doing and saying Moses you can't do this anymore you're going to kill yourself you can't keep doing this and so there, there needs to be some kind of church government that you institute for this new church that you got here and so they, they organize it. You know, nobody likes church government. I mean, it's just Chuck Swindoll called it one of the necessary evils, but you've got to have some, you know? And so the church gets together and organizes a little bit of church government and, and in fact here it's called Jethrogation. Um, that's not in the text. I made that word up. Um, but Jethro uh, advises his son-in-law as to how the church might be governed. And now the church has a government. 
And so right after that, very shortly after that, in fact, maybe a matter of days, they come to the biggest, the biggest event yet. It happens in a place called Sinai. It's in chapter 19 and chapter 20. Uh, this new church comes to this place called Sinai, and uh, God calls his church planner to him and says, listen, um, we're going to get serious now. We're going to find out whether this, these people really want um, a church or not. And I'm going to give them Ten Commandments. And we're going to see if they really uh, want to obey me or not. And if they do, uh, they can go on and sink down some roots and build a building. And by the way, I'll give you instructions about the building as well. That's in chapters 25 through 40, just about. Um, but if they don't want to obey me, they'll be destroyed. And all the people hear that and they say, we want to obey you. We're going to obey. Yay. You're our God. We're going to obey. That's in chapter 20. And you do know what happens in chapter 32, don't you? Chapter 32. That's that whole golden calf incident where Moses and Joshua had been gone for a while. And they come back down and they discover that their church is having a big drunken brawl. And at that point you realize not only is the church planter broken, but so is everybody in his church. They're all broken. They want to obey. They, they, they like the idea of obeying, but they come to places in their lives where obedience, it's just too difficult. Well, that's the story, ladies and gentlemen. That's the story of a church plant in the book of Exodus. But just before we leave that, there, there, is, there is a couple places where Moses, the church planner, he, um, he outlines um, a couple of the lessons that he's learned. And um, one of the places where he, he tells you um, of, of the lessons that he's learned as the church planner, one of them is, is in the 15th chapter, Exodus 15. It's right, after, it's right after the Red Sea incident. You know, they had the, they had the ten plagues, and, and, and that really got to Pharaoh, made him mad. And then, then, of course, Passover occurred, and that was huge. And then they were launched, but then they came to the river, or that, that body of water, whatever it was, and, and they, God parted it, and uh, he saved them again. And, and um, they got through, and the Egyptian army drowned. It was right on the other side of that. It was right, on, right after that parting of the Red Sea that... that Moses, the church planner, <clears throat> he wrote a song. Uh, yeah, this, this church planner wrote, a, he wrote two of them. We're going to look at the other one as we close, but this is the first song that the church planner, the church planner wrote. And this is, um, this is the first line of that song that he wrote. And it tells you, um, It tells you one of the deepest lessons that the church planner has learned. 
He starts his song out this way. I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. He doesn't say, I will sing to the Lord because we triumphed. He doesn't say, I'm going to sing to the Lord because I triumphed. He says, I'm going to sing to the Lord because because he has triumphed gloriously. Because there's the church planter, ladies and gentlemen, that knew at the base of his soul that every victory that they had tasted, every deliverance that had come, it had come because of the intervention on the part of a good God. That the only reason that there was a church at all was because Yahweh wanted one planted in the first place. And in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the obstacles, in in spite of all the, the, the dangers, Yahweh had triumphed gloriously. Moses doesn't stand in front of his people and say, we are where we are because I'm a good leader. He doesn't stand in front of this congregation and say, we made it for these 25 years because you were wonderful people. You were obedient at every turn. We didn't get to be where we are because we're so righteous. I'm an ex-murderer. I have a speech impediment. And you, you have a propensity for golden calves. And we are where we are for one reason. Because God has triumphed gloriously. That's, that's, that's the first lesson that the church planner learned. But I want to show you the second one. It's in his other song. He wrote two songs. He might have written more, but I, I only know of two. He wrote, a, he wrote a psalm. Did you know that? Did you know that one of the psalms is written by Moses? Uh, it's in the hymn book of the church. Psalm 90. Moses wrote that. Moses wrote that about his experience as a church planner. He wrote uh, Exodus 15 about his experience as a church planner. And Moses wrote this psalm based on his experience as a church planner. And I'm not, it's 17 verses. I'm not going to read you all of it. But, but um, let, me, let me just pick some portions out of Psalm 90. He starts like this. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now that's beautiful. But then listen to what he says next. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. 
Yet their span is but toil and trouble and they are soon gone and we fly away. Do you get it? God, you are from everlasting to everlasting, but not us. If we're lucky, we live to 80. And then he says, in light of that fact, teach us to number our days that we may that we may get a heart of wisdom. And the church planner is telling his congregation, he's telling them that the only reasonable, rational posture to occupy is a posture of abject humility. He says, he adds, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word that I talk a lot about, has said. It's a word that talks about faithfulness or loyalty or steadfastness. And so Moses, the church planner, is saying to his congregation, he's saying, let me tell you something, folks. The only one in this room that's loyal is Yahweh. Not us. Not the church planner. Not the church members. No. There's only one faithful one. The rest of us. The rest of us are broken and unfaithful. And then he closes his hymn with these two verses, 16 and 17. He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power, listen, to their children. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, if our church is ever to have a future such that our children can see it, it's going to be because you're going to have to show your hand as strong amongst them. You know, like you did back there in front of Pharaoh. Like you did at the Red Sea. Like you did with that water. Like you did with that manna and quail. God, if this church is ever to have a future such that our children will be able to enjoy it, it will be because, oh God, you're going to have to do the same things in our future that you've done in our past. God, we have made it for 25 years because you have seen fit to intervene. But if we make it for another 25, you're going to have to keep intervening. Because you see, oh God, says Moses, the church planner, the one who must lead this church is not me. Here's how he wraps it up. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Listen. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Yeah, we got hands, and they're involved, and they work. 
But Moses understands that if it's ever going to be worth anything, you, Yahweh, you're going to have to establish the work of our hands. And so this church planner looks at his church and he says, guys, the reason that we're where we are is because God has seen fit to show us favor. And then 4,000 years later, there's another church planner standing in front of you. Me. And I'm telling you that for 25 years, God has seen fit to triumph gloriously. But if we are ever to have a future such that our children might enjoy what we enjoy, God will have to do in the future the things that he has done in the past. Because he's the only loyal lover in here, ladies and gentlemen. He will have to establish the work of our hands. Moses knew it. He knew that that manna, he knew that that water was meant far more than something that just fills a stomach. But he knew something about that a bread of heaven and a living water would come later and would ultimately satisfy the needs of every aching soul. That would come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's one more lesson for you. One that this church planners learned. It goes like this. It's another song. It's found in here. Unless the Lord builds the house, we who seek to build it will build in vain. Oh, Yahweh. Establish the work of our hands. Happy birthday. Our Father, would you remind all who are apart that unless the Lord builds this house, we who seek to build it will build. We will waste our time. And we might build something that will look nice on the outside, but there will be nothing eternal on the inside. Father, our hands are tied. We cannot accomplish anything for good unless you see fit to intervene and establish our work. So that is our prayer this morning, O oh God. It is that you will do in the future what you have done in the past. 
you who will show us your favor and your steadfast love. Do that, Father, not because we've earned it, nor do we deserve it, but we want to be a place where the thrice holy God is glorified beyond measure. Enable us to do that, Father. And then, would you allow us to see men and women come to know Jesus Christ for the first time? Would you enable us? We, we cannot give them new hearts, Father. But you can, and we beg you to do so. Do that, Lord, so that the kingdom might expand and that there might be more who see the beauty of Christ and him crucified. We pray, of course, in his name.